0: What I love about crappie is that head shake. They got that rolling like uh, oh, I'm trying to get that hook out, and <laughs> yeah. then they're gonna do that last turn. That's what I love about crappie. Yeah.
1: So and then you get them up to the boat, and you're like, about to boat flip, and you're like, no. do not do that last jump, please don't. Yep. Yep. And they got the one like the hooks turned out. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm Hunter Jordan. I'm Colin Blaylock. And welcome to the Great Lakes Experience. Today's episode is brought to you by DNR Sports Center and Big Al's Baits. For anything springtime fishing related, Big Al's and DNR has you covered. Hit them up online or stop in store. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 15. Today me and Colin have with us a good buddy of ours, John Neubauer. I got acquainted with John through fishing on WMU's bass team. He was... A senior, my first year there, so we didn't get to spend too much time together, but the time I did, he was a super good dude. And Colin, I think you guys worked at... We worked at Sportsman's together for a little bit. Field and
0: stream and Sportsman's. Yeah, I guess it was that long
2: Both.
1: When they made the switch. Then I finally heard he's a local legend, and I kind of went, whoa, this dude's a stick.
2: So today's episode, this week's episode is going to be a... Crappie, bluegill, like kind of panfish episode for this springtime we're in. What did you guys? What was the? What was the water temp? You said? Uh, what day did I fish? Monday. We
0: were sitting at a chilly forty-eight and forty-nine. We behind. Yeah. Way behind. the 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 warmest I seen was fifty-three, but I was in a foot of water and like a muck, like a mucky back channel. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a cold hot tub. That's gonna be right, <laughs> That's gonna be the warmest water we got. So yeah, we're really behind. I mean, we have right now first week of May. Usually when I'm marking on my calendar, it should be like at the very lowest 58, and it should be around 60, 62 degrees. I mean, right now you should have bass bedding, and then the crappie should be pulling up, starting to make their beds too. And there is none of that existing around here right now. Yeah. So
1: usually in two and a half
0: weeks, I mean bluegill are almost in full spawn. Correct. It's just yeah. we're way behind. Oh, for sure. It's gonna be. I, I so I'm starting to think that that is gonna happen closer to Memorial Day weekend now. Yeah. Which is unheard of. Yeah. This time of year. I, I was think talking we're be to be hitting
1: up the free fishing weekend.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was talking yeah. to
2: one of the guys the other day, and we were saying like, if you go like places like up north like if you go to like traverse bay or like elk and torch so i was saying like those smallmouths are going to be spawning out to like august this year <laughs> yeah
0: like <laughs> exactly right it's michigan, insane michigan so, literally
1: said hope you guys don't want spring we're going right to summer Yep, right to summer it's
2: Wait, isn't it supposed to be like 80 degrees next week
0: yep it is but so the, the which is awesome but the, the crazy thing about that is that instead of the fish coming in waves there's going to be one wave and that's it. Mm-hmm. Every single fish in the lake whether it be a bluegill, a bass, a crappie, you name it. It's going to be it's going to want to be in a couple of feet of water. Yeah, yep. that's it. So, you're going to see a huge population of fish up on the bank no matter what lake you're on. So,
1: yeah, and I don't think there's going to be a huge variation between the lakes. I mean, some years, I mean, you look at a one to two week difference either earlier or later than other lakes on spawning activity where this year is going to be more all pretty much centralized.
0: Absolutely, no, I couldn't agree more. It's um, obviously the from my past experience. I mean, the darker water, that dingier water lakes. I mean, obviously they'll heat up faster. Yep. <laughs> um You got to play the wind. Sometimes the wind will blow one direction, the the you know the same direction for several days in a row, and then it'll dirty up the water, but it'll get colder. So I mean, right now it's like the calmest water you can find when protected is gonna be key. I mean definitely obviously those fish are gonna move up there first. So yeah. That's yep. I mean i I'm gonna start looking for that right off the bat. So
2: Yeah. But. So I'm gonna back up. I failed to properly introduce you. John, how did you how did you get into the outdoors? You're originally from
0: Illinois, correct? Yep. So I'm originally from the south side of Chicago, South Side suburbs you should say. Um suburb of Oaklawn, Illinois um i was born and raised there lived there 18 years of my life so i went to all through grade school uh grade school high school um and then t- my first two years of college i went to moraine valley community college which is like your guys like kvcc up here yep so i went there um i've been fishing my whole entire life um but i've been coming up to southwest michigan my whole entire life as well um back in 2000 my parents purchased a lake house um, uh, south that would be southwest of Kalamazoo, uh, and I've been coming up here ever since. I mean, so from the time I was, oh gosh, I always joke, I said by the time like when I, I was in diapers when I was coming up here, so it and that's when I learned how to fish. All the lakes around here taught me how to fish, particularly Lake of the Woods, Lake of Decatur, um, and I would just. Fish for everything. Um, I had a little... My dad had a 14-foot aluminum Starcraft from like the 1970s. We still got it. (laughs) And he would take me out on that and we would dig red worms in the garden and throw them in a coffee can and go and take our bobber rigs out and just catch whatever we can catch. Normally, it was a lot of perch, bluegill, crappie, the occasional bass. So then I would just... I would fish like that for a while and then when I was probably 10 my dad started like introducing me to like soft plastics for bass and i got hooked on that and like that's how like my passion for bass fishing came and it was either like do you remember like the four inch like uh power worms yeah oh yeah but do you remember the color? It's like purple and black. It's called Tequila Sunrise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I lived with those things for <laughs> my own entire childhood, and and like I would throw that on a split shot rig. We didn't. I didn't even know what a drop shot rig was. And I would and I would throw that on a split shot rig with my little spinning rod, and I would catch hundreds of bass with my brother during the summer months. And then I started throwing a spinner bait. And I was, like, mind-blown by (laughs) it, right? I didn't even know what a baitcaster was. I just threw it on a spinning rod. Oh, yeah. And so then I, that's how I really, like, my roots of, like, how I started fishing. And I had both an equal love for bass and panfish. Like, I always pursued either or. Um, Came time for me to... Uh, so now we 're getting into my teenage years, and I really started ramping up the bass fishing side of things um i 'll never forget what like star struck me the most was when k v d won in uh, uh the twenty eleven bassmaster classic at the Louisiana Delta. I just so happened to catch it on e s p n and I watched it and it like triggered me <laughs> to start bass fishing and then that so that led to the bass fishing addiction where it got like I'll never forget, like, he had that Katawashi special square squarebill 1.5, and I bought, like, 20 of them, and, <laughs> and I just started getting my own baitcaster outfits and that, and really started getting, like, the competitive side of bass fishing, and that's what really started the journey of being a competitive bass fisherman. So, like like Hunter was saying, that's how I got into competitive fishing, I, I and where I met guys like Hunter, I fished competitively in high school for four years back in illinois um i was the all-american representative for the state of illinois for bassmaster oh. in 2015 so they picked like two kids per each state i was one of them and uh we were i was like part of the inaugural program that was the very first year bassmaster rolled out with that program now they do it every year mm-hmm. they'll, they'll pick high school anglers you know so that was really cool to be Went to two state championships in high school, um, multiple wins in our District 230 tournament series. That was the, the tournament series we had locally with all the surrounding schools in the Chicagoland area. Got multiple scholarships in high school, just a fish. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and then that carried on my career to Moraine Valley, where at Moraine Valley, I didn't want to be on the sidelines for two years because we didn't have a fishing team there. So I made one. Yeah. And I got a teacher, so that was like our representative that helped start the club. And me and a couple of buddies started the team and I literally hopped in my old Rusty GMC and my little ranger and traveled around the country fishing, which was FLW College Series at the time. So I went to places like Table Rock, Missouri, Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin, uh, Clinton Lake, Illinois, stuff like that, like that's the we way we're fishing, so. And then once it was time for me to transfer out, I chose Western Michigan because I knew the area up here and the rest is history for there. And then I started fishing for Western, and I was there at Western for three seasons. Three years I got to fish with the guys at Western. And I've made so many lifelong friendships Yeah. through the bass team there. Yeah. So
2: We wouldn't be here without
0: the bass team. No, wouldn't be here without the bass team, right? <laughs> so that's like my fishing background, and 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 through steering towards the topic uh through bass fishing and just fishing in general, I still carried, like, my passion for panfish through the years. Like, so panfish for me are, like, that crutch to lean on when I get tired of bass fishing through certain times of the year. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's all face it. We all get burnt out sometimes with bass fishing, constantly traveling tournament after tournament after tournament, like, just practice days, practice days, traveling, driving 10 hours here, doing this, coming home, working for the week but then you have to turn around and drive another X amount of hours to fish another tournament. It gets tiring for us. Yeah, right. So for me panfish were like that crutch, like something different or I just wanted to go out and get bites. Yeah. And I also love to eat them. So yeah. <laughs> that's and they taste good. So that's why I just that's why my my joy for panfish has always been there. So
2: but. good deal.
1: So would you say well first of all I want to add I guess he's not just a legend in Southwest Michigan. Yeah, he's an All American, no. so he's a legend <laughs> so around everywhere. Don't
0: sell that out. But
1: when would you say your? I would say your love of crappie really shines. And I remember when we first oh, met. Oh, for it, sure, definitely. Yeah. One thing I knew outside of bass fishing was crappie and mallard ducks. Yeah. I remember those first two things. Absolutely. we talked Absolutely. And I can tell you exact aisle we talked about it then. <laughs> but when would you say your love of crappie
0: fishing really started? It started when, so you rewind back to my childhood when my dad had that little V-boat. Well, f- first he wouldn't even let me take it out by myself. <laughs> I, was at, I had to I had rock the paddle boat game <laughs> on, on old Lake of the Woods. And finally my dad trusted me enough to where uh, he let me take that 14-footer out and he gave me our, old, our 1950s Mercury 9-9 to put on the back of it. We still run it to this day and and when i got graduated that it was like a whole new world and so you could go wherever you wanted and so the thing with crappie to steer into that was i was always catching a ton of bass i was always catching a ton of bluegill and at first it was hard for me to catch like good quality crappie so and i couldn't figure out how to catch them and as a young kid it's like I see all these guys up north of Minnesota catch giant slabs. And then I see all the guys down south catch giant slabs. And I'm like, man, I. And I hear from the locals and everyone, like, there's plenty of crappie around here, young man. You just got to find them. So then I started studying, like, you know, jig heads, soft plastics, you know, microplastics for crappie and, like, where they go, where they move to, where do they spawn, where do they hang out. And then finally it all clicked. And, like, Lake of the Woods was, like, the trial run ground for that. And I started finally catching them at Lake of the Woods. And then once I figured it out, it was like I was addicted to it. And, one, because, in my opinion, they're bigger than all the other panfish. Oh, yeah. Usually, right? Blows away a bluegill. Um, their paper mouth, it's harder to hook them because you can't set the hook too hard because you ripped the hook out of their mouth. Yeah. And I just love how they thump and they bite. Like, they'll knock a ton of slack in your line, and so I always just, and I mean, in general, they're a pretty fish. I mean, the color pattern on them is awesome, in my opinion, so. You get the jet black one. Yeah, jet black. bleached
1: one. Yes,
0: exactly. So, I mean, like, that combination of things, like, like it, it made them harder to catch when I was a kid, I felt like. Like, it was more of a challenge for me. So, that's why I always appreciated them, and that's why, like, my passion for them, like, shot through the roof. So they were right along there with bass to this day my whole entire. Like, I would be out bass fishing, and if I stumbled upon a group of crappie, I would sl- throw that caster down, <laughs> pull out a spinning rod, and you bet I'm going to try to catch as many as I can. Like, that's just, that's just the way I am. My, my tournament partner back in college, Josh Lopez, you know, you, you both of you know Josh. Yes, yeah,
2: Josh has been on the show.
0: Exactly. He would always mess with me when we were traveling for tournaments. And we ran into a crappie he'd be like oh gosh john put the rod down let's go like he'd be like <laughs> next spot he's like no we're moving like we were we just came back from table rock lake in missouri we bass fished all week caught the heck out of them spots largely smallies and but we ran into a brush pile and it had some crappie on it and <laughs> to make the long story short Josh was getting frustrated with me. I could tell sometimes because I wanted to keep going back to that same brush pile in the back of this pocket just to keep checking them to see if they were there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's pretty much. That's why I love them, man. They're just they're fun to catch.
2: Yeah. Like, you know. So what would your, what's your like ideal like, rod and reel setup for if you're gonna go crappie fishing?
0: If I if I was left with one stranded on an island for the rest of my life, you can say. A seven-foot medium light. Okay. I don't do noodle rods. No. Big no for me.
2: Not those big 13-foot.
0: Well, no, so those are different. Those are like, like you know, your those are like your spider-rigging, like dipping rods for timber. But you got to r- realize there's not a lot of standing timber here in <sighs> southwest Michigan. Michigan. No. All right? All the lakes around us are grass bowls. Yep. Our, you know, the, the structure that we have is drop-offs with grass submerged bog humps like that bog material the occasional fish attractor brush pile and maybe that one random lay down tree that the lake owner didn't want to chop down and they just left it in the water i mean that's (laughs) right or the occasional christmas tree (laughs) yes exactly like that's it so like those long noodle rods like that those i mean those super long like trolling rods or spider rigging rods i have a couple of them that i'll use sometimes like for fun like when they're like bedding but like that's about it. I rarely use them. Yeah. So but a seven-footer, you can do so many different things with it. You can, you can throw a beetle spin on it. You can just cast one 32-ounce jig with a plastic on it. You can bobber fish with it. You can go directly over the boat with it, with, like, a double hook rig with a egg sinker for bluegill. You know, like, you can do everything with a seven-foot medium light. Yeah. And then I like the medium light as well because if I do hook something bigger, I can handle them better. Yeah. So, like, the occasional bass or the walleye. Like, I I can't begin to tell you how many five and four or four and five-pound bass I've caught on a small crappie slider like this. Yeah. It's insane. This is low-key one of the best little secret bed fishing baits ever. But, so that, like, that's the reason why I like the medium light. Yeah. Because it's just, it's versatility for me across the board. so.
2: So then, what do you put on for, like, line? Do you,
0: what's your, like, what line do you use on your reel? So... If I'm casting jigs, just no bobber, just casting a jig, it's going to be 6-pound Berkley Nanofill to a 4-pound monoliter, because that Nanofill, like we were discussing earlier, it's like that tinsel, as I call it, it's like dental floss, that you can launch a super light jig really far away from the boat, so it gives you more of a stealthier approach for those crappie, any panfish in general, Mm -hmm. and the... That monoliter, obviously it helps disguise, you know, it you don't it, it doesn't you don't run that nanofill all the way up to the jig head. I mean you want that monoliter just to give it some stretch. Yep. And so they can, you know, have a hard time seeing it. I don't get crazy with fluorocarbon with panfish. I feel like it's unnecessary. Yeah. I just just go get your Berkeley triline that's sold at any hardware store or DNR Sports. sporting goods store. Yeah, DNR <laughs> Sports, right. Right. Just go get yourself a three hundred and thirty yard spool that comes in the puck that's been there for eons and well, <laughs> yeah. you're good to go. Yeah. So they t- finally
1: updated it. It's a it's a box now, not yeah. the plastic wrap. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's yeah. And so that's what I would do. And then if I'm bobber fishing, total different story. So now you can get away with the nanofill to monoliter, but when you join the knots together from your main line to your leader material, that bobber can get in the way and you can get away with it on a pinch, but Usually if I'm, like, slip bobber fishing, I'm I'm going straight mono. Yep. Because then you have more weight to, to cast out. So, like, if I'm bobber fishing with minnows and I got slip bobbers fanned out on the boat or on the pontoon and I'm just relaxing and chilling, like, I'll do just straight four or six-pound mono. If the cover in the grass is a little bit heavier, I'll go to six. I try to steer away from that, though. I think four-pound, you get way more bites. Yep. So I'll spool, like, two or three rods with just four-pound mono. Like, I have I have three, you know those uh, Akuma Cilios? Oh, yeah. Everyone loves those. I have three eight-footers. Eight-footers are my favorite bobber rod. And I you get more leverage. It, it's, it's called a light action, but to me it's like a medium light. Like, it's got tons of backbone. Yeah, yep. those and, longer
2: rods always do.
0: Yeah, so, like, you have to, like, <clears throat> compensate for it. Like, so when I say light, and you'll be like, well, wait. You just said medium light. It's it's kind of a medium light when you get to the eight foot range, and then I'll, and I'll use those for just straight bobber fishing because you get more leverage and you can cast farther with it. So, so that's pretty much my two setups right yeah. now. Yeah,
2: the longer rod thing too. You can get away with like some harder hook sets sometimes because there's so much absolutely over. Cause I was yeah. I was steelhead fishing this past winter and, like, you're always like trout trout got like soft mouths so you don't always like jack them yeah but like with those i was using like some like 11 and a half or 12 foot rod and he's like i was like so because it was my first time going so i was like how do i like set the hook on these and he's like give it to him really and i was like (laughs) that's
0: crazy he's like
2: okay so then it was like it was like setting the hook on a jig and I was like, I was like, how do you like not absolutely just rail their mouths? Yeah. It's like because it's so long, like you're traveling such a long distance that by the time you stop the hook set, like you're just poking it in barely. True. That's and I was true. like, all right.
1: Then you also have to think about how much line men you have. mm mm-hmm. I mean, so I the mean, more line you have out, especially bobber fishing on a windy day, you always have some, a little bit of a bow or bow, and that longer rod is going to help you pick it up quicker.
2: Yep. So then, on uh, next, I'll segue into, we're in springtime, water temps. What do we say, forty nine, something like that? Where are those crappie? Way too cold. Where yeah, where are those crappie
0: hanging out right now? So they're transitioning from deep to shallow. So even though it's colder water temps and they're not necessarily spawning yet, they're gonna be really close nearby. So I like to compare crappie almost to bass. I mean, like, in the way they move throughout the year. They're eerie similar, in my opinion, especially around the lakes around here. They'll, they're going to be at the last deep hole before they can go up to spawn. I mean, and they'll be sitting there, and when that sun gets up, they'll move up higher in the water column. they will be a little bit easier to catch. Um, they'll be less active but they're still trying to put a feed bag on though. Yep. Like I mean, they're going to be. Gore- they have to. They put. They have to put the feed bag on right now because they're going to exhaust all their energy when they're spawning. Yep. So they're going to eat just like a like a pre-spawn bass would. Oh yeah. And <laughs> it, what's what's crazy when I say they're eerie similar is that like when they stage like you can predict them just like a bass stages. So we always talk about like uh, like. This piece of cover dumping into a spawning flat or this like drop off. This is the last drop off that they got before they can move up there. It's the same thing with crappie. It's just instead of covering water with a bunch of moving baits like you would for bass this time of year, like pre-spawn, you would be, you're going to slow down and use your electronics more. Yeah. And when you find those bunches of them, it's, it's game on. Then you can just back off and throw your traditional jigs or soak minnows underneath a float. I mean, it's it's one of those things. Like when you find one crappie in the pre spawn period, you found them all. You, yeah, <laughs> you know I mean they're they're there. You're gonna sit there for a bit. Yeah, and and that depth range could vary. I mean, right now, if I had to start in pre spawn, I'm only gonna go like ten to fifteen feet. Yeah. I'll look there first, and then depending upon, like, the weather, if the day's getting warmer, I'll start working my way shallower. Because, I mean, you'll have a pre-spawn crappie in two foot of water. Right? Yeah. I mean, that, that they'll get there. They're just not going to make a bed yet, but, oh, I'm hanging around. I'm going to be there. Like, that's, like, so.
2: It's like they know it's close to time, but they're not, it's not go time yet. Correct.
0: Yeah, it's not go time yet. You know, they'll... What I've learned in the past is they all set up at once. It's insane. Like, I, I'll never forget, like, as a kid and, like, the past couple of years, I'll idle past an area where I know they spawn, and there's not one single crappie in sight. And then you get, like, one warm night, and I just so happen, I'll venture out there. I've seen it happen overnight, and they're all there, <laughs> and they're all competing for bed space. That's nuts. It's, it's incredible, like how nature works like that. Like you can go to the same spot and you won't see a thing if, if the water's clear enough because I'm looking for them with my polarized glasses. You won't see a thing, there won't be one in the area, and then you can get like one or two nights ahead, and it's like every crappie in the lake moved up at once. So it, it's crazy. Like I, I think it's insane. I, I think crappie move up faster than bass. yeah at, in, in terms of numbers that's just my opinion, yeah, so a lot of them move up quick, that's for sure. oh but there's yeah. no denying that absolutely.
2: so what kind of stuff do they typically spawn in like is it similar to what bass spawn
0: on like sandy flats like harder bottom or what is it? <laughs> yes and no so obviously they spawn in all different types of cover like around the country like you know more southern lakes they're gonna spawn on more brush top you know brush pile type stuff and mm-hmm. like you know more like horizontal tree limbs and stuff you know they'll stick to something but like up here like the lakes we have around here in Michigan it's similar to a bass but not necessarily it's hard to explain but at the when it comes to a crappie they will spawn not just like on a sandy bank and like a man-made channel like a bass does they're not going to make a huge bed like that like i've seen crappie spawn near bass But if if a bass is on, like, a flat area in a channel, they'll be on, like, the little tiny drop-off with their little itty-bitty bed, like, right there. Um, My favorite go-to pieces of cover for spawning habitat for crappie is thick lily pad roots. Oh, yeah. Um, Like, rocky, sandy bottom with a mix of good, fresh green grass. Mm -hmm. Like, Like, I mean, what I mean, like, Only, like, little patches. Like, it has to be, like, open, like, sand flats. Like, you'll see crappie, like, lay on that, like, openings, you know? Yep. And then, but my ultimate, ultimate favorite that i love to target is submerged bogs. Okay. It is insane how many crappie will spawn on a submerged bog. Like, so, you can go to any lake in southwest Michigan. I'll go to one right now I've never been to. And chances are during the spawn I can find some crappie. If there's if there's any pieces of cattails lining around the lake, how many cattails around are around lakes? Yeah. Right? Think About every one. lake
1: has one little nook and okay. that has cattails.
0: Exactly. So natural erosion of the shoreline, those cattail clumps break away over time. It's just that's it's just nature doing its job, right? So eventually all that like boggy material and those cattail clumps, they break up from the pack and they float out and the wind will push them out or they'll push them out away from the bank but close to the bank still. So like maybe 10 to 30 feet from the bank and then they get so waterlogged that they sink, right? So now you have that hard piece of cover submerged in the water around like a mucky, weedy flat. Guess where that crabby's gonna go to bed? Hard bottom. Right there on that hard piece of cover. I have had, I wish I can take videos of it, but I don't want to give the lake away. Because it, no, you don't in, have to. In respect to the lake, I don't want to give it away. But there are bo- pieces of like bog humps on a certain lake I go to where it's like the size of your bass boat. No way. And like the size of your bass boat deck. Think of like that. Like, like the size of the bed, right? And it's sunk in two to three foot of water. And there will literally be over twenty crappie trying to spawn on that little piece of bog. That's insane. Right there. Like they're 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 fanning their tails, making their beds, and they're like right next to each other. All males making the beds. It's like, oh, there's a whole limit sitting right there. (laughs) And that's what like it makes it It's the time of year where it makes them like really vulnerable. Yeah. Right? So this is where the conservative side of me comes in and says, okay, I can catch a limit, no problem, but I'm only going to keep 10. Yeah. And they're going to be all males. Like, I won't keep a female. I, I just, I don't. And, like, or I'll say, all right, you know, I, I got, you know, mom and dad coming over for a fish fry, so I'll keep 12 or 15. And then I'll do that. I rarely try to keep a limit when they're, like, on beds like that. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to, like, like, mess everything up. I mean and I'm not gonna sound like a hypocrite here because I do I, I do keep limits yeah during the springtime, but only if I'm having a bunch of family and friends over for a fish fry. Yeah. That's it. So it's like I I try to be cautious around the spawn.
2: I honestly I try to whether it's like crappie or bluegill or whatever, panfish, I try and I try and get my freezer full in the wintertime.
0: Exactly. That's what a lot of people do. Because in that yep. way I
2: mean, I'll still go out and one of my favorite things to do, like is go and catch like spawning bluegill like on a fly rod.
0: Yeah, that's fun. It's like, a riot. The next, on the fly The dude. next
2: few weeks here, like what you just see, like you just look on the bank, sandy, you just see all those black circles right next to each other, just lined up. It's like. Looks
1: like a freaking. The old Connect Four.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs>
0: literally. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then you just, before your fly even hits the water, you see him. They're coming for it. And it's just, like, insane.
0: I and love it when they punch it. Like, they right. miss it. They yeah. go, pff, it hits yeah. out of the water. It's like, dude, how'd <sighs> you do that? Yeah. <laughs> we found That's... some,
1: we found gill beds last year. Like, six foot of water. Really? And we had spiders. Um, I was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's give them a toss. Like, yeah. they're aggressive. I shit you, you not. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> within a second, those things, it was like you're at a fish farm. Yeah. They're, yeah. I was like, wow yeah and i mean it's it's a riot
0: yeah it's a good feeling right yeah i mean like literally you know like like diehard bass guys like us it's like you chase bass all over the country and it and they're fun to catch obviously we love doing it yeah but then like you get to do something like that what colin just said and you're like
2: sometimes this it's is, fun is to, why I fish. sometimes you know? it's fun to just go out and just smoke them yeah like, cause you don't get to do that all every oh, time you no. go bass fishing. But usually, like in the springtime, like this, like you, it's like sometimes I feel like here it's hard to not get a limit of bluegill this time of year, oh, or know. at least oh, right. within the next few weeks, with our water temp all jacked up like it is. But yeah, there's this place back home. It's this little private lake. One lady lives on it. She's the nicest old lady I've ever met, and she lets my dad used to fish her when he was a kid, and he's like, he's like. There's bluegill here, like like good ones, and he would always take us, and we would, like later in the summer, they move when they move deeper, we'd throw just like regular like teardrop, like ice jigs, and you put little leaf worms on them, and you just let it sink, and then you just feel it, but then like in the springtime, they're like up in the shallows and stuff, like nine and ten inches only, it's absolutely absurd,
0: absolutely
2: like. And I was using like pretty big flies too, like straight up grasshoppers. And they just, oh wow. Oh,
0: that's where
2: you know they're
0: big. It's so fun. It's like, man, you ate that whole cricket. Good yeah. Grief,
1: like. I think when I first fell, fell in love with fly fishing for them, I didn't even have a fly rod. I had an old 10 foot Riversider Ultralight. I mean, it was like taking a boiled spaghetti noodle out there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I like that. It's
1: pretty good. We were at the lake and I was like, wow, there's a lot of mayflies. And all of a sudden, those flies started hitting the water. It was like a symphony going off. Just, <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna tie a fly on. I don't have a fly rod. I'm sitting out there. I probably look like a goon. I'm whipping this thing as hard as I can just to get it out there. But as soon as that would hit the water, there would be like a nine or ten inch on. I was yeah. like, and Yo. The, the crazy, the crazy
2: <laughs> thing is, is like you don't it. It doesn't for bluegill. That time of year, it does not matter what you have tied nope. on. Oh the, yeah. If you, like, if you super glued a piece of cottonwood to your hook and it hit the water, they're going to eat it. Oh, yeah. They do not care.
0: James, James Linder, we all know the Linder family. I'll never forget watching, like, an In Fisherman video years ago. He was like, if it's small and squirmy, a bluegill will eat it. Yeah. That's just, it's just how they're hardwired. It's just,
2: so. And, that's, and we're getting close to that time of year, too. I actually need to start... Tying bluegill flies because <laughs> Yeah, I see the I'm, mice over
0: here. I'm um, ready
2: to I wanna I love that's one of my favorite things in the spring. Oh time for here. sure. I mean catching Absolutely. catching bass on a jerk fun, but hearing that little
0: <laughs> I got Oh man, you know, I can't it, wait now. <laughs> you asked you asked about my past and I'll tell you this story that and it made me think about it the other day when I was out with a buddy uh bass fishing and we were going through this really shallow canal to get to another lake and and I seen a bunch of bluegill scattering everywhere and it reminded me of my childhood where like I would come up to Michigan on the weekends from sitting in a car ride leaving south side of Chicago coming up here so a two and a half three hour car ride every weekend so like usually by the time we got up here on Friday night it was dark right I would take a spotlight and run down to my parents channel and I would shine that spotlight in the water to see if the fish had moved in or not yet every spring, and I would run down there, and that was, it was either a big disappointment or a huge excitement after I was, because <laughs> I would run down there and 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 shine the spotlight and say, oh no, you know they're not in yet, still too cold, and I mean we're talking like first week of April, like still not up. The weekend would pass, I'd go home. Go to elementary school all week. So now I'm sitting at my desk thinking of bluegill moving in the channel. And then I'd run, you know, parents would drive me back up to the lake because little Johnny couldn't drive. (laughs) (laughs) And grab that spotlight, go down to the lake. And if I shine the spotlight and I seen, it didn't matter if it was four inches. If if I seen one bluegill, I was so excited because I knew that the fish had moved in. And then I would wake up the next morning. Take my little bobber rod and my little box and go down to the you know seawall and I'd catch bluegill and that was just it was just a cool childhood memory that you you reminisce about.
2: And uh, like general rule of thumb is like about time the lilacs start blooming. That's how I always know. Like when the lilacs start coming off, that's when it's like it's bluegill time. Oh
0: yeah, for sure, absolutely.
2: And like I said, I don't. I mean, the bass the bluegill usually come up after the bass. And they haven't spawned yet, so I don't know. I don't know when it's supposed to happen this year. Like, what the heck? It's kind of like you were saying. Like everything. I don't know if we were talking about that before the show started or not, but all the fish are gonna move up like right now this yes. year. It's, it's gonna be
0: insane. It's gonna be a light switch. There's no marathon this year. It no, is a
2: it's a hundred sprint. meters. Sprint.
0: <laughs> and I'm the guy like with a lot of work obligations lately. I have like nothing ready, so I'm just like. Oh, uh, we better scramble and get some stuff ready here because yeah. it's gonna happen very quickly. Yeah,
2: and that's what's nice about like pan fishing is like, you don't have to have like the craziest
0: setups to do it. That's I the beautiful I, thing about it. A
2: five six ultralight ugly stick was my oh that was my gosh. bread and butter when You're I was little. One of little. those guys. That was that was my bread and butter when I was little. Panfish, you can get the most fun out of it
0: for the cheapest price. You can't. Oh, yeah. It's the
1: cheapest entertainment I've it ever is. done.
0: One hundred percent. Absolutely, Colin. I mean I, I can't agree more because here you are in bass fishing you're like, well I got this twenty five dollar jerk bait with this twenty-five dollar spool, twelve pound fluorocarbon line. On my G Loomis NRX seven foot <laughs> medium action casting rod that cost me a whopping four hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah. Attaches it with my Shimano Kronar at a six three one gear ratio that runs me about three hundred. It's like, what? Yeah. Versus. And you're waiting for the next toothy critter to take yeah. that mega bass. Right. Versus <laughs> the panfish side of things, where like you said, you can take an old ugly stick or an old rod with some basic four pound mono. Literally go dig some earthworms and throw them in a the coffee can, grab some hooks, sinkers, and bobbers, and you can catch bluegill. The old gold it's, eagle claw Aberdeen. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. To try tried and true number four. Oh, yeah. It.
1: <laughs> so,
0: it's, it's incredible.
1: Yeah. Talking about how tasty they are, I'll give you some credit. You make some of the best fried fish I've ever had. Oh,
0: so, thanks, man. Yeah, I, so,
1: I enjoy doing that. A little meth. I don't know. I mean, everybody says, crappy, get mushy. No doubt they get somewhat mushy if you don't take care of them, right? John, give us a little tutorial on how you take care of your
0: crappie. they got to be cold. So obviously springtime, it's not really an issue. You can flay them up no problem. I mean, what are we talking about, like, 50-degree water temps? Wintertime, ice fishing, obviously not a problem, right? Summer months, I'll, I'll, I'll keep them and flay them up perfectly fine in the summer months. You have to get them cold. So the problem is that the biggest mistake I see people do during the summer months where they're like, oh, you know, those crappie and bluegill, they get all mushy. They're not good to eat. Like, they don't taste wrong. You can't take a crappie or a bluegill and throw them in your live well with 80-degree water temps. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. You're boiling them in that live well. And then by the end of their fishing trip, and it can only even be for a couple hours, that fish is floating upright in the live well, losing its color kind of getting that golden eye look. Oof. No, I'm you not got gonna, yourself a
1: poached flame, Yeah,
0: man. I'm not <laughs> I'm I'm not you can still flay it, but ain't going to be the best. Yeah. So what I always tell people to do, and I will do myself, is I'll grab an old cooler from the garage or, or or a good cooler that holds a good amount of ice. And as soon as you catch that crappie, that bluegill or perch that you want to flay, He's sitting right on ice. I'm throwing him right in the, in the ice chest. Yeah. That live well does not get used in the summertime.
2: Yeah. I mean, even if you wanted to use the live well, just don't put water in it, just fill it with ice. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly, Hunter. Yeah. I mean, you grab, just you go to the gas station, get the giant bag of ice, dump it in that live well, and you're good to go. You won't believe how cold and firm those flays will be, especially them sitting there for a while. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about it is, is that if you're in a pinch, like, if you went before work, like, it's like I used to work second shift a lot. I'd go out in the morning, catch, you know, 5 to 10 crappie, throw them in an ice chest, and then I'd go to work. Yep. I wouldn't take care of them until I got home that l- late at night or the next morning. Yeah. And they're they're cold, solid, you know, and it's great.
1: That's exactly what I do. But I'll add a little bit of, like, a salt water. It's almost like a slurry that they do down south when they do their... Yep. Um, Like ocean fishing.
0: Right. Yeah. I've heard of that. I've never practiced that, but I've heard of that. I started doing it
1: because I hate hearing those things flop around all the (laughs) time. It's like, shut up, Jimmy. Yeah. But I'll put a little bit of salt and water in it. That way you can dunk them. And if I fish late at night, or not late at night, but if I finish and it's kind of dark, I don't want to deal with cleaning them with mosquitoes. Oh, I know. So I'll sit them in that ice slurry overnight. And then you get out there and you clean them in the morning. It's like cleaning them through the ice. Yeah.
0: yeah. They're
1: super thir- firm and I think I flay them better. I mean there's no doubt I flay them oh, better. Oh yeah, a colder they're not flay. Squirming. Yeah. <laughs> correct. A they're colder not sl-
0: Yeah. It will flay better a colder flay. It's it's more firm. It's easier to get off the scales no doubt. Yeah. Easier to cut over the rib cage if you choose to do it that way. That's the way I do it. So yep. you can cut over that rib cage probably fine. So Yeah. And the
1: cool thing about that ice water slurry is all the slime from them gets yep. pulled off so you don't oh, have really? super slimy yeah when you pull them out you got to let them sit like hold them over the it's like dipping them in a fryer yeah you're gonna just slowly slowly pull it out and all that slime you can see it come off
2: huh mm-hmm. so right, basically when you that, dump it
1: out it's like slime water
2: yeah absolutely so do you ever like when you do you guys ever like do you like, freezer bag your fillets and stuff I mean,
0: oh absolutely yeah i mean i'm not gonna eat them all at once what i do is if you want to have a little stock going in your freezer um, I'll just throw the I'll, I'll rinse the flays out get all the blood and scales off them, what what have you just residual and I'll, I'll throw them in a heavy-duty freezer bag and then I'll dump water in there yep and I'll, I'll freeze them with the block of water yep and that's that a right, so
2: little trick what I do when I'm so like I've got the water in there splash mm-hmm. of milk
0: really yep
2: it kind of, like, takes, like, some of, like, the gaminess away, almost. So, like, I mean, you st- they still taste, like, good, like, bluegill. Yeah. But you don't have, it's not, like, a potent fish taste. Okay.
0: That's so, good. I've never heard yeah, of that. Yeah, I
2: learned that one from my dad. Nobody, I've, apparently I'm the only one who does I've it. Never I've never heard of
1: <laughs> cut a milk, um, gallon of milk in half, empty gallon of milk, and people freeze them in that. Yeah. With water. Yeah, I've heard that. That's the only thing I've heard that had to do with milk. Yeah. But I'm a vacuum sealer kind of guy.
0: I'm trying to get into that. Yeah, I I just got a new vacuum sealer. Honestly, this is the
2: way to do it. That's the way, so like
0: me and portion size wise especially. Well,
1: that's what I like to do. And I got a little, I had an old friend, his dad taught me. He he did a graduation party and he did fried fish. Okay. I'm thinking, dude, how are you thawing this out and breading it and getting it out so quick? He said... I freeze them with the breading on it. Whoa. Yeah. And I started doing that. That's a game changer. It is. And a lot of people look at you and it's like, what's the difference between like store bought fish fillets and stuff? I'm like, yeah. It's a lot. I mean, huge difference. It's basically fresh fish, but you're doing the process before. And the hardest part I always had with thawing out fish was getting them crispy. Well, if you, the way you do it is you zip lock them. Totally breaded, so when you dunk them in the fryer, they're still frozen. And a bluegill, crappie, perch, any panfish fillet, it's so thin that by the time it's thawed out and getting crispy, everything works out perfectly. Nice. So it's super crispy, but it's not mushy in the inside, and it works out perfect. So if you ever f- freeze them, that's what I prefer if you have the time. That's pretty Obviously, cool. it's a little labor intensive in the beginning. Yeah. But say you want to do fish that night, you don't have to be like, oh, I got to go get all this stuff. You <laughs> yeah. just take it out, you cut it open, you dump it in some grease.
0: That's a good idea. I might have to start practicing that. It's not bad. At least at least from a personal standpoint, like if it's just me, I would do it. Usually, like when I have you guys over, I always have leftovers because I thaw out like a bulk bag. <laughs> yeah. like, I know like, okay, like... You know this is fifteen crappie in here, so fifteen times two. I got thirty flays sitting in this bag, and it's like, well, thirty f- crappie flays. That's a lot of crappie, yeah. right? But, and I'm like, okay, I got X amount of people coming over. Do the quick math in my head. I'm like, we're gonna have leftovers, but I know these boys can eat. And then I'll I'll, I'll f- do a whole batch, and by the time it's done. Eat. there's there's a little platter left full and then like you know, we're you know, playing cornhole or something and then it, like the guys are picking pecking away, yeah. <laughs> pecking away. At it all it.
1: depends how much Billy drinks that <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, you remember that party I had in the bar during oh, yeah. the winter. Yeah, I I I fried fish that night. Yeah. That was a bunch of that was bluegill and crappie I did that night and I made a tremendous amount. And by the time the night was over with there was like Four pieces left, and I said, Boys, we're finishing this. <laughs> and so, let's be
1: honest, it's hard walking past a nice, crispy panfish flame, like, oh, Ah, yeah. I don't need any more. And then you're like, Yeah, <laughs> might man. as well. Oh,
2: okay. you could, I could eat a
0: whole limit of bluegills. Oh, yeah, it's
2: just like it just, it's, you just,
0: you. why I love catching them. Man. Oh, man, I, <laughs> I, I always said, I hate God put them on this earth for a reason, yeah. That was that was my uh, that that was my view of them because, you know, like you got, you got your game fish like your trouts your 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 largemouth your pike and yeah obviously you can flay all those but like panfish there's a reason why they call them panfish, yeah. Yeah. right? like they didn't get that nickname for a reason so and they're fun to catch they do fight hard on light tackle I oh mean, yeah you ever hook a ten inch bluegill on in a noodle rod we all have right exactly that thing it it, it it's like if you're, you're you just punched into a mat and you set the hook on a floor to 10 pounder like yeah. it's like doubling over like yep. you know. they're strong and they
1: have so much width to use against you because they never come straight in they
0: just go, go sideways it's like
1: if you dumped a kite in the water it's like trying to pull a kite in the water. <laughs> exactly. yeah it's
2: like i've never had one run straight at you when you hook them they always just they just like they follow the bank yeah. You're just like, oh, I'm gonna go left.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With crappie, people say crappie are boring, but to to fight, but I think they fight great. Oh and yeah. Like the thump is what gets me. Yeah. Is the thump slack in your line because that big paper mouth? I mean, if you ever watch a crappie eat, it's a, they inhale? They yep. don't chomp down. They don't swipe. All they do is inhale. They will always inhale water through. It, like when you're bed fishing, you can watch a meet, and it's just like like a vacuum port, man. It's incredible, and that's where that thump comes from. But when you fight them, what I love about crappie is that head shake. They got that rolling, like, oh, I'm trying to get that hook out, and then they're, yeah. they're gonna do that last turn. That's what I love about crappie. Yeah, so, and then you get them up to
1: the boat, and you're like, about to boat flip, and you're like, do no. not do that last jump, please don't. Yep,
0: yep, and they got the one, like, the hooks coming out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what I do. What I did, and, and Josh, Josh will make fun of me with this because he's seen it. Josh, or my good buddy Austin, I took a trout net, tiny trout net, right? So the handle's like, what, 8 inch, eight to 10 inches long? Yep. I took an old broken broomstick, and I duct taped that <laughs> sucker together, and I have a crappie net that's like 8 foot long with that little trout net on it, and I can like reach and extend Oh, yeah. And I've netted hundreds of fish with this net. And all of my buddies make fun of me. They're like, is that what I think it is? I'm like, yep. And I've caught slabs with it. So Yeah.
1: Any, f- I was going to say 14, but any 13-plus crappie, Oh gosh. I'm netting it. Yeah. I'm not boat flipping it because oh, no. I've lost way too many. Yeah. And you give them the stare of, like, you just did me so
0: dirty. Oh, yeah. That's right. Like, these sickle hooks that they make, that... Like you look at that, it almost looks like a catfish hook for how that hook point's like pointed inward. Yeah, but that sickle design the whole purpose of that was there's less of a gap right there for them to turn the hook, so that's why they made it. It's more like it almost looks like you took a pair of pliers and shut it. That sickle hook there, not only is it a sharp point, but that it's a smaller hook gap. Smaller diameter, so it, it gives them a less chance to break it loose. That, and you're not making such a big gap in their mouth. No, exactly. Versus if you took your old classic, like number two Aberdeen, which has caught millions of crappie, right? Yeah. But there's not more of a gap, and they can turn it, you know, and that's, yeah, like those Aberdeens are more for minnows, in my opinion, if anything. but Yeah. So. Yeah. When did you really start pouring all your own jigs? I started pouring my own jigs back in high school. I went to the store one day. Went to the tackle store. I don't know where I was, and I had a I had a I didn't even have a crappie jig in my hand. I had a bass jig in my hand, and I'm and for those of you that know me, I'm a ba- I'm a jig guy, and I just held it in my hand and I was fishing with one, and it like fell apart after like two fish and i was like i know i can make this better and save a ton of money and my addiction for tackle making began right then and there <laughs> i have spent thousands of dollars on molds and tackle making stuff and trying to tinker with things and trying to get you know get a piece of lead better that what you can buy at the store so like i can take a, a size of a hook and pour it to a head size that you will never see that hook combination in the store at all. Like here I got, like here's a a 16th ounce head, but it's got a number eight hook on that. And look how tiny that thing is. Like yeah. you're not gonna find a jig head like that in the store. No. Usually when you're gonna find a like a 16th ounce head, it's gonna have a hook size like this. It's gonna be it's gonna be really bigger, like that. Yeah. which is like the standard crappie hook, right? But if you're trying to do bluegill, it's hard to catch it's a bluegill big, with that yeah. hook. Yeah. You take this little guy. He's got it. He's got it. That's all day. Yeah, so that's why I started pouring my own crappie jigs in that, is I put hook-to-weight combinations. That you can't get, just you, buying them. Correct. Yeah. And, I would, and I'd pour them, and I had a plethora with it. And then one of the things I always complained about was when you had your regular your regular, like, lead-barbed collar for your plastics. It holds your plastics on there okay. For the first two fish. Right. And then, <laughs> and then your your Bobby Garland baby shad is sliding down. Oh, well, yeah, every other fish is taking your pants off. Exactly. So, <laughs> so now you're like, well, to solve that, I have poured every single crappie jig and panfish jig with a wire keeper on it. Like we do in the bass market, yep. A lot of that, like Japanese tackle, all those high-end jig heads, whatnot. They got wire keepers on it. Well, I took that and molded it into a with the do-it mold, like crap, you know, crappie style jigs. Yep. So my favorites, uh, favorite it mold is just this is a standard ball head. It's the mold where it's a ball head with wire keeper. Very simple to find. You can find it online anywhere. And then my other favorite for more stationary. Like more vertical presentation is the Do it Mold Diner Shiner. That is a sick little fellow right there for vertical fishing. So like if you put that jig under underneath a float, or if you're going like right over the boat with live scope, oh yeah, that's your scoping jig right there. It's that. That thing will glide and dart. It's really cool. This is a more four by four all purpose do whatever you got to do, cast it, wind it, jig it, you know, under a bobber, get away with anything. But that's more, like, technique-specific, like, more vertical, more pitching. That's that's a really cool jig head. So, And that in your hand right there, me and Josh actually caught three, three and a half-pound spots off brush piles with that. Well, I was fishing for crappie, and I got my <laughs> – no joke, and I had my medium-light rod and I'm pitching out there and I'm like, "Oh, Josh, one's coming to get it," thinking it's a crappie. I'm still new to live scope myself, so then I I'd hook it and I'd say, "Oh, this is a spot." And then sure thing, he'd be biting that little thing.
2: So. Yeah. That's what's super crazy to me is when you can a lot of times in like when you're bass fishing or whatever, like the stuff that they'll eat, crappie will eat like
0: Oh yeah. It's like That's I was awesome. showing
2: you pictures before we started of I was jerkbait fishing for largemouth last week on Monday, and, I mean, I had crappie eating a full-size jerkbait.
0: That's fun. And that's, like,
2: that's because they'll straight up just about pull the rod out of your hand when they eat those. Oh, absolutely. And that's, like, because you think you just hooked into, like, a six at first. Yeah. And then it's just, like, nope, it's just a 16-inch mega crappie. You
0: know, I feel bad. Not to cut you off. You know what I feel bad? We haven't gave a good respectable amount of time to the good old perch. I know.
2: I was thinking about that a
0: minute ago. But you know what? Like, it's it's crazy because they're not... You take Lake Michigan out of the factor. Mm-hmm. There's not huge populations around here. No. They're in a handful of lakes, and that's it. Yeah. Usually you got bluegill crappie. That's it. Yeah. Bluegill being the dominant, crappie being behind them. And then it's like, there's only a handful of good perch lakes around here.
2: Secrets. They're secrets.
0: I'm pretty like, open
1: left when it comes to crappie and bluegill. Yeah. When it comes to perch, it's like I got a zipper. It, 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 it's lip. a it's a
0: it's a whole new world oh when it yeah. comes to perch. But. I
2: found one this this past winter, and I didn't know about it. And uh, one of the managers at the store he sent me there. Just a I was just fishing for bluegill, but I hooked into like a ten inch perch, and I was like I sent him a picture of it, and I was like. I didn't know these were in here, mm-hmm. and he just messaged back, "They're not." <laughs> I, don't, I, like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, "All right." I was like, "Lips sealed." But he, I was talking to him, and he's like, "They're only they only bite. They're like really good for like a two week window." He's like, "You gotta hit them in that two week window."
0: What I admire about perch is that they're the very first ones to move up.
2: Oh, immediately, as soon as ice is off, and I didn't know that until this year because I was cleaning a couple of them this. This past winter, and like I got them open, and I was like, I was like, dude, they're full of eggs.
1: Mm-hmm. They have they're, eggs pretty much all ice season. Yeah,
2: they're ready to go as soon as ice is off. They, and I don't know. Do you know? I don't know where they spawn though.
0: They have to have Same moving kind of, water to spawn. Yeah, that. Um, you know. It's
2: because they're in the walleye family. Yeah, you, you know?
0: yeah you compare it to a walleye almost. Yeah. Um, like you know, hard bottom gravel sandy flats with a, I I call it the perch grass you know the little grass that comes yeah off the a little bottom. cabbagey little, perch little grass fuzz. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the stuff that's the stuff that they love to hang around yeah and I mean once they spawn they'll be on those flats in my opinion for the lakes that I know that have them they'll be on those flats for months roaming mm-hmm. roaming and feeding roaming and feeding yeah and I just love like those sandy like like, small weedy patch flats that are, like, just... I mean, you're out in the abyss. You're in the middle of nowhere. It's huge. It's expansive. That's where, like, this guy comes into play, but on a heavier jig head. It's like that heavier sixteenth ounce head. It's like a search bait. I mean, I'm making bomb casts, and I'm reeling it. And if the water's clear enough, you'll have, like, a wolf pack follow behind you <laughs> on your bait, and you're like, oh, gosh. And oh yeah. There's, like, there's like two 12 inches behind it, like, just... Shark in it, and and then you kill it right at the boat, and and one eats it. Yeah, that's that's like the perch fishing I know, but I mean I don't. Unfortunately, I don't have as much experience with them as like a crappie or a bluegill. You know,
2: the only experience I have with them is biting the tails off my drop shot baits in Saint (laughs) Clair.
0: To go into what I was just about to say, and I'm taking before you say anything, I'm taking Lake Michigan out of the factor. Yeah, like all those big lakes connected. Obviously, have perch in them. Yep. I'm talking just southwest yeah. Michigan lakes for you guys. There's say. in the
1: lakes in the summer. My go to, and it'll, I've never heard many people doing it. I'll go out with your standard bass drop shot rig, downsize a little bit, and you can run like a Bobby Garland shad if you want to run live minnows. You drop shot a live minnow, and you find any deeper, um, certain lakes that I fish, there's just weed clumps, middle of nowhere. And if you pitch a drop shot with a minnow, there's always perch on it. Cool. And we'll go out, and we'll mess around all day. Obviously, you're not going to go out and catch millions of them. No. But you'll go out and catch a good amount for dinner, yeah. and it's fun. But you just go out there in some deeper
0: water, and you pitch a drop shot, and it's fun. Yeah, light well, tackle. I've never drop shotted for panfish. I mean, I've done the double hook rig thing always, but, like, And no. if you ever find any
1: certain lakes, you'll find bluegills in that, like, six to nine foot range where nice. you wouldn't think a bluegill would spawn. Yeah. And I found it. We were fishing one night and we were cruising. We weren't even actually shooting. We just had the lights on. Okay. And I happened to look over and I was like, holy shit, there's a checkerboard down there. Like, slow down, turn around, and we go back and they're in like nine foot of water. And they're all huge gills, like paper size, paper nice. plate size. I said, we need to come back here and drop shot with it. And you could drop shot a fly. If you tie like... Almost like a leader coming off your main line. Really, almost like a perch rig is. Okay. And you drop a fly down there. That's
0: good to know. I never tried that. You That's gotta have a slick calm day like, or like really good. Yeah. drafts. you gotta know where they're at. And it's like pinpoint, like like precision accuracy, like the seventh weed stalk down to the left at this thirty degree. <laughs> oh yeah. <ball>. But <laughs> the nice thing is, is if
1: you get in that gin clear water, Sight they're gonna fish hold out. tight. Yeah. But they're it's so deep that. They don't know what's coming. Yeah. So you I mean you're basically vertical jigging a drop shot for gills and grappy oh, and so bluegill.
0: Cool. I got to try it. All right, oh Colin. yeah. All right, Colin, you got me. I'm gonna test that waters so this year. Venture away from the old leadhead, but
1: it's usually a little bit later.
0: Yeah, I usually find them like We're talking th- like June,
1: July. So for the gills, like early May. I mean, early June, late May. Like yeah. when everybody else is kind of like, okay, gills are done spawning. Yeah, right. You yeah. find them that deeper water, but perch. My buddy and I, Joey, we went out in mid-July. I mean, we got toasted sitting up on the... I mean, we looked like crabs. Yeah. We were super red. But, I mean, nobody else was fishing. Everybody's tubing,
0: wakeboarding. Nobody thinks about perch fishing out in deep water. That's like the secret time to go. Oh, yeah. No one's doing it. Yeah. And it's a riot. (laughs) That's cool. I'm going to have to try that. That's really cool.
2: Yeah, that's a... We give away secrets here on the Great (laughs) Lakes Experience. Yeah, good. I'm
0: I'm spilling everything. I I was kind (laughs) of... I was kind of holding back on the bog hump deal. Yeah, that's, the only thing
2: we don't give away is lake names. Sometimes I still that's do, just,
0: but I, I I do that, or uh, I won't do do that just out of respect for the body of water. Yeah. Yep. And 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 I can
2: honestly a lot people of times come up I if, do it. I do it for the fish a lot of times. Just oh because, yeah. Because like, you don't want it to just get absolutely just pounded. Horror. Yeah.
0: And unfortunately, I've seen that. For lakes that I've fished in the past. And I've always, like, people will come up to me and they'll say, like, hey, where'd you catch those crappie? And I'm like, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you, I'm not gonna give you the lake. I might give you the lake, but I'm gonna give you several. Oh, yeah. Because crappie are in all of them. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you what depth I caught them. I'm gonna tell you what bait I caught them on. And I'm gonna tell you what the water temp was. I'm gonna give you everything. There's crappie everywhere, there's bluegill everywhere. I'm not just gonna be like, this specific lake at this specific spot. Yeah. Right. Like, there's bedding areas that I know where it's like. I know they're there, but I'm not gonna show it to the world. Yeah. So I'm gonna let them do their thing. Part of the fun to me Maybe is can, you know. like finding them.
2: Exactly. Cause it makes it better when you when you catch a whole bunch of them is because like you put the effort in and you found where they were hanging out and. Oh yeah. And then it's just like when it all clicks and you start catching fish, it's like that much better
0: there's bedding areas that the crappie pull up to at my favorite lakes every year and then there's areas where i have caught them bedding that i haven't seen them there in five to seven years Mm -hmm. like i'll never forget like idling past some spots like they used to be right there like (laughs) they're no more like you know so i mean they move Yeah. yeah it's it's in and you know just out of respect for the fishery especially during that spawn time like, the most vulnerable. I mean, you have the biggest crappie in the lake in a couple of feet of water. They're vulnerable. When that crappie is done spawning and he gets out to that deeper water, he's a lot more educated. He's a lot more harder to catch. Yeah. Let's face it. His right? guard goes up. Oh, yeah. He's no longer defending a bed. He's just putting the feed bag on, doing his thing out in deep water. Roaming. Yeah. So. And I'm it's like being a little kid again when you roll up
1: and you're looking for beds or oh, just yeah. a school of fish that are moving up and you see that it's like going back to your childhood you're like yeah. oh yeah
0: the nostalgia oh like yeah bleeds like yeah. heavily it's <laughs> like this is it like i was just getting my john boat ready slapped my old mercury on there and i I got my tackle box and like a couple of my panfish rods and i'm like just getting excited like coming like coming home from work doing that it's like wow i feel like i'm five again you know i feel like i'm yeah, Six, seven years old again.
1: Though. And then you go and take off that gill and it starts to flop and you get a nice spine right in your hand yeah, and itches oh, yeah. for a couple of days and you're like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. Oh, don't get me going about fish spines. I've had my horror stories of that. dude. They're painful little things, but
2: oh, so tasty. Oh, yeah. All right, so, John, to close us out, it's kind of been recent tradition on the episode to give us your favorite, like your most memorable handfish experience
0: most memorable
2: yeah that's kind of been our like theme i got to come up with like like little... if
0: you had to
1: come up with one story that if somebody asks you say one story that sets apart from any other experience you've ever had in the yeah
2: we've been kind of doing it on every episode and i'm going to try and make a little jingle for it so i can just like plug it in here that way like it plays and then it's like boom
0: there's your story okay i have to say uh, when i was a kid i'm talking maybe 10 12 years old i was on that old 14 footer that my dad let me take out and i'm on lake of the woods and and i'm out there and i'm still trying to figure out where these crappie are and i found an area where they spawn and i haven't seen them spawning there since and i i rolled up and i casted my bobber and I bought my very first pack of white chartreuse crappie sliders. Like, I was like, all right, I see guys catch them on this all the time. I'm going to try them. And I bought one pack, and they were the white chartreuse. I didn't even have my own jig head that was pouring at the time, it was just a regular old jig head from Walmart. And I put it on there with a bobber, and I caught the heck out of them. And I, you know, I, I caught a whole limit, and I was so proud of myself. And I'll never forget, like, I i i threw him i had a cooler that i made out of a makeshift live well i wanted to be like cool and professional you know not like sure. the, not like the fish basket i had this live well with an aerator right and i threw him in this cooler and i rolled up to the dock um back at my parents house and my neighbor came over and he was doing some yard work and stuff and And he was, he's an older gentleman and he used to fish a lot, but you know, he eventually moved away, but he came over and he's like, how you doing, Johnny? And he goes, you catch any? And I was like, well, and I took the lid off of the cooler and he's like, oh my gosh, son, those are dandies. Where'd you find those? (laughs) Like, you know, and I'll never forget that moment just because it was like my passion for crappie was just like, it was huge. It still is to this day, but it's like back then, it's like when that happened, I was, like, so happy I finally figured out the puzzle with them. And it was something different than bass. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, was, I was bass fishing all day that day, and I just so happened to stumble upon them, and I just started catching them, and it was just, it was fun. It was a real special moment. I, I, I might have a picture of them, those particular ones, but I'd have to, like, really dig deep down to find it. But, like, that's what, like, started it all. That's, yeah. pro- that's probably my favorite crappie moment. Heck, yeah. So.
2: Love it. Awesome. What a great way to close the episode. So, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Just about everything we talked about on the show this week is available at DNR Sports Center, whether it be rods, reels, line, lures, soft plastics, slider grubs, Charlie Brewer's
0: slider a, grubs. A whole selection of Charlie Brewer. Whole grubs, end cap, come DNR. on yeah. in. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite end cap. Yeah. You <laughs> might as well put John's end cap right there. I'll tell you what, I thought about asking Randy that.
2: Yeah, so hit those guys up online, vandamwarehouse.com, or if you're in the Kalamazoo area, stop into the store, and Colin and I will most likely be there this summer to help you get ready for your panfish experience this spring. So don't miss that, and get out on the water, and we will catch you guys next week.